Welcome to Black Diplomats, the dopest foreign policy podcast in America. This week, our guest is Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Mike Espy, former Agriculture Secretary. And according to a recent poll, Espy is just one point behind his Republican opponent, Cindy Hyde-Smith. So first of all, how, how are you? Doing well, man. We feel pretty good. Uh, we are. We're one point down. And it's been a uh, consistent uh, tra upward trajectory. We were nine points down in uh, February, five points down in August, and uh, one point down as of two days ago. And uh, it's real. We're tracking it. Mississippi just started being last, economically last, last in income, last in healthcare outcomes, last in educational attainment. And every good list went to bottom, every bad list went to top. And people here really just frankly sick of it. And there are enough of them now. Uh, we have blue and purple suburbs now, openly mobile white women, uh, passionate white college students, along with uh, enough black voters, the most black voter population per capita in the nation. Uh, so we're building the coalition of both of those. And it's just pushing us on because they just want somebody who is forward thinking, doesn't want to keep Mississippi mired in the past. You know, Terry, we took down the Confederate flag in Mississippi uh, about two months ago now. It's, I've advocated for it for decades, but now it's just the moment now is, uh, is escalating now. And I think that this campaign is meeting the moment and we're perceived to be the person who can lead this state off the bottom of the socioeconomic index and help lead us to the future. And, uh, and because Justice Ginsburg, uh, unfortunately, past, it's now placed uh, the perception of healthcare at risk. Because November 10th, uh, in the Supreme Court, there's going to be uh, the appeal on Obamacare. And so President Trump is rushing through and ramming through a new Supreme Court justice uh, because they want to rescind and, and uh, trash their, the Affordable Care Act with the consequential risk to uh, pre-existing illness, Medicaid expansion. So all of that is why this campaign is surging. People now, Democrats are playing in all states, all Senate races. And now they see Mississippi is in play and we're doing extremely well. And that's why we're at 1%. Uh, I'm sorry, one point down. One point down. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really want to talk to you about uh, something that people really don't discuss and ask you about enough, which is your experience with trade. What do you think that Trump is getting wrong with uh, his war with China? And how is this impacting people in Mississippi? The, uh, okay, we speak about trade. And you know, I've got some issue with this because when I was uh, Secretary of Agriculture, uh, President Clinton allowed me to carry this nation's trade portfolio on agriculture. So at that time, we were negotiating NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. And uh, I was a guy to go to Canada and Mexico to negotiate, um, you know, corn, wheat, cotton, pork bellies and all of that. And then we, we broadened it to the general agreement on tariffs and trade, the GATT. So I spent a lot of time in um, Hong Kong, Morocco, uh, you know, Canada on dairy and on other things, just trying to make sure that, um, that uh, the, agricultural bounty that's grown by our farmers can be sold in markets abroad. And those markets are dynamic, they're always changing. 
So and that's why I'm so afraid of this president because the only consistent thing about this president is uh, that he favors the countries that will assuage his ego. They'll say he's a good guy. And the ones that uh, stand up to him or defy him or challenge him, uh, he's not for them. So in that sense, he's the reason that our foreign trade positions around the world are so erratic, inconsistent, so hypocritical. You know, here you can go to, to North Korea and cozy up to, to uh, uh, you know, a dictator. And then uh, we've got nothing to gain from North Korea, not at all. And then he goes to Russia. Russia is a despotic nation. We don't know what Putin has on our president. We just don't know. We're going to find out once he leaves office here in a few days. But, uh, but what I'm saying is that his, his foreign trade outlook is great for anybody who likes him and bad for anybody who doesn't like him. It's also a consequence for the nation. Uh, we are trashing all of our multilateral organizations, not just, not just NATO uh, in, uh, in, um, in uh, national security, but also in agriculture, in, in the World Trade Organization, uh, on uh, uh, TPP. All those things have been trashed. And uh, America is an exceptional nation. Yes, we are. We, we're number one. But we're not, we shouldn't be so insular. We can learn from other countries. We can cooperate with other countries. We can grow our balance of trade by doing this with other countries. Even with COVID, we can go to the lessons learned in Vietnam and uh, South Korea and even in China. And they've, with these large populations where people are densely packed, they've gotten a handle on their COVID management situations and, and bringing the infection rates down. And so what I'm saying is that in America, in particular with agriculture, we, we shouldn't retrench. We have to reach out because of, of all the food that we grow in America, only one third of it uh, is shared here for domestic consumption and two thirds of it must be sold on the international market or else if we don't, prices are gonna to continue to be depressed. Our farmers are gonna be continue to be going into bankruptcy. And so what he's doing with, with all of these tariffs and all of the uh, uh, restrictions of our markets, all things that I'm afraid of. So my outlook on trade in general is globalistic in the sense that we need shared cooperation. We need fair rules of trade. We need open market or market access. We need new rules on vital sanitary standards. We do need to focus on China because China is our most consequential relationship going forward. I mean, they are the second largest economy in the world and they cheat, all right? So um, we know that they cheat. Can you go into that, the cheating? Because we know, I mean, we know that because a lot of people don't understand that dynamic. Can you explain that All right. briefly? China is, is not like the U.S. I mean, we are, we're a democracy, even though our president is trying his best to make it less so. He's making it more like the folks that he admires, North Korea, Russia, uh, you know, uh, and those in the Middle East. So we're a democracy and we, we're trying to hold on to that. But China is, 
is an, is um, an autocratic nation led by the Communist Party. That's why they could arrest the COVID because once the Politburo says everybody go inside for 14 days, if anybody's seen on the streets, they get arrested, they're thrown in jail. So we can't do that in America. But what they can do is flout the rules of international trade. They can flout it. They can do what they want to do. So when the WTO and when the uh, multilateral institutions put out market access rules. World Trade Organization, out, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the World, the world Trade Organization. And uh, everybody has uh, tariffs and tariff rate quotas, right? So TRQ, and the TRQ is the amount of goods that you can trade with another nation based on the, the market access quantity that you want to trade in that nation. And it's always mutual. You trade me corn, I trade you soybeans. You trade me cars, I trade you steel. And, and these all have to be done by international rules of trade with, with, with tariff rate quotas that are known and abided by. And, and if you do that, you'll get sued uh, in the uh, court headed by the WTO. So what I'm telling you is that China is very large. It's, it's becoming more dominant and it just flouts the rules. And so I know that we have to treat them with care because they are, they are the second world's largest, second largest economy in the world. But, but I mean, we have to be very careful when we just impose arbitrary tariffs because all they have to do is just turn around and impose them on us. For instance, back, back 2018, when our president knew that he was running for reelection, and he needed to win Ohio and Pennsylvania. And these are states that are steel producing states that are auto producing states. And so the president thought he would curry favor with, the, with, with Pennsylvania and uh, Ohio by imposing a tariff on, uh, on steel, on aluminum, uh, which, which, uh, which raised the prices to, to, uh, to China, okay? Because they buy that from us. And so, all of a sudden they said, okay, if you're gonna play that game, we're gonna slap a retaliatory tariff on products like agriculture, soybeans most specifically. They would uh, buy a lot of soybeans because in China they have a lot of hogs and soybeans is a principal ingredient in, uh, in feedstock. So they impose a tariff on soybeans coming from America which, uh, which raised the price of soybeans, which reduced the global market for American soybeans. And then there was a global market restructuring because Brazil also grows soybeans, pretty good ones actually, that are cheaper. And then they came in and, uh, and they, they, uh, they, they, uh, they, the market that was vacated by America, they came in and filled it. So I wrote an article called, Be Careful What You Ask For, because there's a consequence the soybean market fail the futures markets fail. The soybeans lay idle in the fields. The reserve soybeans couldn't be sold. The farmers lost their income. And this administration had to rush in with cash subsidies to replace the money that they could have received if they just could have been doing what they 
what to do which is to sell in the global marketplace. So these things are so arbitrary and they're just so political and they should not be. So we should abide by global trading rules. We ought to be a fair partner for fair trade and free trade and treat China with respect, but not let them just cheat like they are. Right, because you know, so the, you know, just wanted to make a note to what you said was that the uh, the World Trade Organization uh, they recently ruled that the additional tariffs imposed in 2018 by the United States on Chinese goods violated international trading rules, which is a blow to Trump's uh, you know um, you know trade war. Just noting that um, and on what you're saying. Right. So I mean, we have to modernize. We have to modernize modernize the World Trade Organization. You know, it is sort of antiquated. And uh, we have to make sure that they keep up with real world conditions. So China is now the world's second largest economy. And uh, I'm very afraid of what they're doing, you know? Uh, I mean, we're here in America spending our uh, tax dollars. Remaining in Afghanistan is the longest war in American history. We still have um, our troops uh, spending our treasure uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Middle East. And uh, we, well, we are, even though we're reducing our troop presence in these areas, we're still spending billions of dollars. Whereas China has the luxury of, our, of, of spending their revenue, expanding their economy and challenging us uh, for number one economy in the world. I mean, this, this, uh, this, this, uh, this, this belt initiative that they have expanding into other areas uh, that are that are west of them and going into Africa and going into all these markets, investing in continents like Africa that hold so much promise for the world, where the folks in Africa, 6% of them are aged uh, 30 or less. So Africa is a continent of promise. And so here we are calling Africa a conglomeration of its whole countries what our president said, and President Z is saying, we want to spend our revenue invested in your countries, invested in your ports, building your bridges, uh, invested in the increase in technology for your farmers. And by the way, when they grow their yields, sell them to China. So while we've been spending our money on a lot of unnecessary things, protecting the world, China has been saying, let's expand our influence to other parts of the world, and it's dangerous. Plus, every time we have a treasury auction, when we sell out T-bills on the treasury market, who's the first one at the door? China. So they're buying all of our treasury notes. They're buying our debt. And so every treasury note that they buy, we are more and more indebted to them, literally. And so if they ever felt like doing something cataclysmic, they would begin to hint they were gonna call some of those bonds due. And that would be trouble for us. So I'd say trade is very important. China is a consequential trading partner. We have to respect them, not fear them, but respect them and uh, attach tariffs on them that are reasonable. You know, anytime we talk about the continent of Africa, it's 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 done from the perspective of aid 
and you know dealing with things like hiv and aids was an issue on that continent that, that has to be addressed but we rarely one we rarely hear africa uh being discussed in debates i've never heard it in 2016 one question about the continent of africa from the perspective of investment and trade so i want to ask you um what would be your plan as a u.s senator to help america invest more in uh in, in the continent of africa uh the countries there uh given that china is expanding its influence on the continent all right, good question. Let me say to you that um, most of your listeners may not know I've had a lot of experience in Africa, and not just as Secretary of Agriculture, even in my private life. Uh, I work with a, uh, a nonprofit called CNFA. And uh, what we do is go into, um, into new markets economically. And that's why I want to ask you a question. We concentrate on countries where uh, most farmers are subsistence farmers, and really all they need is uh, more technology, more training, um, you know, better equipment like smaller horsepower tractors. They need credit, they need capital investment. And uh, they, like, they, like, they like anyone else, if they, are, if they have better information and the knowledge of market prices so they know what to grow, and if they have better implements, they can grow more. And so all they need uh, is instruction. So this group that I belong to called CNFA uh, created new frontiers for agriculture. Uh, we go into these new markets and we, we have what we call one-stop shops so that the, uh, the, the farmer in Africa can come in in one visit. If his goat or his, or his uh, camel or his, his, uh, his, his cow, as a veterinary need, you can go to the veterinary on site. If you need your, your, your tools sharpened or new tools to be purchased or be trained in a small horsepower tractor, if you can't buy it, we can rent it to you. You go over here. If you need some credit, you go to our credit kiosk, you go over here. And so all of this is one-stop shop. If you need uh, training, we have something called farmer-to-farmer -farmer training where we hire US uh, scientists to come over and have seminars with African farmers. So if I were, as I will be, I hope, a new senator from Mississippi, we're doing what we're doing as a, as a nonprofit. I wanna make sure that's a, a, a featured program of USAID. So it's not just giving food, it's training and investment in building capacity. And that's what I'm going to do. Absolutely. So I want to go into climate change. And because Mississippi is on the Gulf Coast, uh, that's something that definitely impacts your state. So ProPublica in New York Times Magazine released a report saying that warming temperatures and changing rainfall will drive agriculture in temperate climates northward, uh, while sea level rise will, continue, will consume coastlines and dangerous levels of humidity will swamp the Mississippi Valley. Uh, so... Curious as to how you would address this um, as a senator, especially if Democrats take over the, the Senate. All right, well, let me say something um, uh, that many folks in my state will not say, and what our president would not say, and that is that climate change is real. Climate change is real and it's dangerous 
And in many ways, uh, it is um, the, the problems with the changing climate has been exacerbated by human activity. All of our carbon producing activities in, in every economic sphere. I think we have to arrest that and get a hold on it. So the first thing I would do as a US Senator is I bring America back into the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, you know, when I, in answer to my earlier question, I said to you that uh, we're, we are an exceptional nation, but we're too insular. Our president, because of his, uh, his ego maybe, uh, has, has taken us out of a lot of these multilateral institutions. You know, NATO is, he's always threatening NATO to withdraw from it. Withdrawing from, you know, from the United Nations, he threatens to do it. He threatens to withdraw from, from, uh, from WTO. And uh, he did withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. And so here you have a combination of nations all around the world, all pledging to reduce their carbon footprint, all pledging to, to, uh, to, um, to dedicate uh, portions of their revenue to, to, to bring down the challenge to, to uh, the threatening uh, uh, global environment. So here in Mississippi, uh, we have um, seen this. We have you know, more hurricanes and more tornadoes and uh, you know, the rivers are becoming uh, a little warmer. And so there are a lot of things that we can do. The main thing is that we have to, as I said before, make sure that we can arrest climate change by getting involved in the, the uh, Paris Accord. Uh, we have to invest in clean energy like solar uh, and water powered uh, electric creating institutions. And everything we can do to bring down that carbon footprint is, is what I wanna do. Absolutely. So two more questions for you before we end up. And we have more than 200,000 people who have died from COVID-19 in the United States, leads the, leads the world. And can you talk about how this pandemic has impacted your state and how you plan on getting uh, the U.S. back on track um, as, as U.S. Senator? Yes, yeah, impact us greatly because we're a small state, only about three million people. So I didn't check the stats today. But yesterday we were uh, looking, going toward 2,700 deaths. And uh, somewhere like uh, 90,000, 90, yeah, 90,000 infections here in Mississippi. And uh, we have a conservative leadership which followed President Trump's signal. So I believe that as a state, we, uh, we shut down too late and we opened too early. And we were late to the game when it comes to masks and all of that. So uh, and as a consequence, we led the nation in uh, positive daily infections about three weeks ago. So it's been terrible. So the reason um, we could change this and improve it is very simple. Following the CDC guidelines, doing what Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks said we should do, and that is wear masks, wear gloves, socially distance, wash your hands, and until we get a vaccine, excuse me, man, that's my fault. Until we get a vaccine, until we get a vaccine, uh, we just have to be careful. Uh, you know, and there's been a disproportionate amount of deaths uh, in the African-American community because 
our population is almost 40% in Mississippi African-American. So, so there's a lot of things we can do. So as a senator, and as a human being, I say I would follow the doctor's advice, the advice of medical scientists. I would do everything that they suggested. Right. So my last question to you is about the success uh, that many uh, African countries have had in dealing with COVID-19. And I'm going to be reading a story, uh, a column from the Washington Post from Karen Atia. Just some uh, just a few numbers. Uh, Senegal set up uh, after a Ebola pandemic, for example, uh, Senegal set up some emergency operations centers. Uh, to manage public health crises. Some COVID-19 test results come back in 24 hours and the country employs aggressive contact tracing and every coronavirus patient is given a bed in a hospital or other health care facilities. Senegal has a population of 16 million, but has only 302 registered deaths. Rwanda, a country of 12 million, also responded early and aggressively to the virus using equipment and infrastructure that was in place to deal with HIV and AIDS and testing treatment uh, for the virus are free. Rwanda has recorded only 26 deaths. And she, part of it, here's the interesting part where she says, it's almost, when she goes back to um, another point where she says, the US, as the U.S. approaches 200,000 deaths, the West seems largely blind to Africa's successes. Uh, and as somebody who constantly goes to the continent, I'm sure you appreciate this line, these few lines where she says, it's almost as if, they are disappointed that Africans aren't dying in mass and countries are not collapsing while black Americans have been disproportionately contracting COVID-19 and dying. Africa's performance shows, as I quote a Kenyan anthropologist saying in May, being a black person in the world does not kill you. Being a black person in America clearly can. What are your thoughts? All right. That was a lot to, uh, a lot to read and a lot to, to glean from that. Uh, I, you know, I do want to compliment the entire continent for uh, their for their timely response to this COVID nineteen virus. Uh, it's it's in many ways um, what they've done are lessons to the Western world, you know, and a lot of that is because of what we discussed earlier. Africa is a gem, and in them respect to their coronavirus response. Um, and I'm, I'm generalizing now. I've been in a lot of these countries and uh, they're dominated by young people. Almost 60% of the population in the entire continent of people under age 25, age 30. So uh, their, their immune systems are a lot more vibrant and uh, they have great leaders who took the word of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the World Health Organization. Everything the CDC is saying here that may be ignored by some of our leaders in the West and here in Mississippi, they're being adhered to by some of those African leaders. So, you know, Africa uh, is emerging. They've got great banking centers now, uh, great, uh, great leaders now who believe in democracy. They have, uh, they have great centers of technology and they're more and more every day uh, becoming uh, the areas where new investments are 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 are, are running door. So uh, I love what I read, and I love what you just said right there, and uh, it's great. So as we're spiking here in America, uh, the the uh, COVID infection rate in Africa is uh, is 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 being taken care of. 
Yeah, so it's ironic. I mean, so I guess it's there. You talk about the, the fact that we can learn so much from the world and continent of Africa is definitely um, a, a spot to start off with. No, I just don't say I've, I've spent a lot of time there, uh, both on the nutrition side. Well, I was a senior advisor to a um, international uh, food organization, Feed the Children. So I was their guy for six years. I've been all over. And then now on the investment side, I'm with a nonprofit called CNFA. I've been to all those countries you mentioned, and I love what I see. Absolutely. So thank you very much. Our time is up. So Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Mike Espy, former Agriculture Secretary and uh, hopefully the next senator out of Mississippi. And so thank you. thank you so much for giving us your time. And I think people need to ask you more about Trey. You're an expert. How come nobody asks you all these questions and you're, and you're one of the top people to ask? I won't just be a senator from Mississippi. I'll be a United States senator. And that includes trade. So I'll, I'm supposed to be conversant on all of these issues. If they ask, I will answer. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Black Diplomats. We especially want to shout out our patrons. If you like this episode, please become a patron at the link in the episode notes. Also, rate and subscribe to Black Diplomats on your favorite podcast platform. The intro and outro music is brought to you by my fellow Detroiter, Tall Black Guy. <laughs>